Welcome to our podcast, the title last ones at the bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry. I'm Lavelle Jackson. I'm Daniel Lee. We got the whole crew together this week. And so, you know, we actually in the building for the first time, you know. Yep. How, how, how does it feel, fellas? You know what I mean? To be doing this in person. Long time coming, you know. If you're listening to this podcast and want to know, you know, how do we all come together just like that? And we're at Buffalo Wild Wings. You can read the story online. You know, this this is what we do. You know, this is what we love to do. And it feels good to, to have a, the three amigos back together. This is the first time since the bar, ain't it? The, the, the three of us, right? I think all three of us. Yeah. 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 The energy different in person, man. <laughs> energy different. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. So this week we got several different topics. Obviously, we're going to discuss the Haney-Diaz fight. Uh, we're going to talk about Jessica McCaskill, the Anthony Yard, Sebastian Pandora, um, Anito Donaire. Um, you know, we got a big fight coming up Sunday night. I guess we'll just have to recap that next week. But anyway, fellas, I feel uh, remiss uh, not to start off by talking about 3-6 Mafia. You know, 3-6 Mafia versus... Uh, who is that? Phone back with phone thugs. Uh, what did y'all think about that? I told y'all, man, they got too much stuff, dog. Three six had too much stuff to me. Thirty, we talking about two producers, thirty years of hits. They just, you know what I mean? Like they they should have matched both of them up differently. I feel like. Well, but I'm talking about the fight. Though. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I, 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 I scored it. I'll say this: you're right, Danny, but I do think it's things they could have done to to. Less than a blow. And plus, of course, you got to also factor in, yeah, 360 definitely have more hits. And plus, what they did was they came out, when they first came out, they were kind of similar to Bone. They transitioned more into a club south southern group. So they had a whole second career, pretty much. And and when you, and what Bone should have done was they should have start, you know, going off their, some of their collaborations also. Like, Crazy Bone has a, quite a few. Like, he, he has a song with Gangsta Blue. He has a song with uh, Lil John, you know, then he has that song with uh, Chameleon, Chameleon there. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, this dude has a song with album with the singer, pop singer Tiffany from the, in the 80s. So if he would have brought them out on stage, you know what I'm saying, together, it would have been a little bit of, of, a, of a, a challenge. But I like the way Bowen was playing it, you know, live like that. In the, in the fight, I don't know. I don't, I don't have too much of an opinion. I thought it was, you know, it's kind of bad taste because, like, even though the society is like, they messing up the, you know, they could have toured together in the future. And and I, I've heard some stories about why it might have happened. You know, they, they say that uh, DJ, uh, that DJ Paul and Gangsta Boo were, were dancing with one another while Bone was rapping, trying to, and I, I, when I saw it, I didn't think they were really mocking him. I just thought they were just having fun. Right, right. So, you know, how did you score? How did I score? Like, uh, is it 10 8? No, it's 10 9. Uh, uh, 10 9 Juicy J. 10 9 Juicy J. Okay. It's either 10 9 or no contest. I say no contest because after he threw the mic, first off, the way he wound up and threw the mic, that was ineffective aggression. So, first of all, you went, you losing it right off that. And then after they start to become the aggressor, you get behind your people. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> so to me, you know, we're not enough rounds into the fight 
for me to like actually score it. So I say no contest. But if we get, you know, if I gotta get pick a winner, then yeah, 10 nine. Yeah, but shout out to to, to uh, Lazy Bone and, and DJ Paul also because they were the mature ones. I saw Lazy immediately get in there and say, hey, you know, look, yeah, this yeah, is not yeah. what you're doing. You know, and Paul was more so like, okay, you know, he, he, he shook hands and yeah. everything's good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. I thought that uh, overall, 3-6, they just, like, I thought they had too much. And they stuck with their guns in terms of what they were good at, you know. And everything that they were playing, it was like you could feel the music. You know what I mean? You may not have been a fan of it, but you remember that time that people were vibing off of that type of music. But then, boom, like the first three, four songs, I didn't. I thought they got off to a like a bad start. I think they should have selected some different songs to come out. To. I'll I'll say that that was part of what I factored in too, because the reason why they they have been able to stay relevant so long is because they're able to read the room, mm-hmm. like whether it be like we're gonna put this out because this is what the people gonna need or whatever. So I knew that even if the catalog was the same, like in terms of like time period, three six is able to like very in, in a very good fashion like think like this is what the crowd's gonna want mm-hmm. you know what i mean so yeah. now they did a really good job of that you know very good breakdown fellas let's go ahead and get off into some of these uh boxing matches that we're going to either predict or we're going to recap so let's go ahead and start with the haney versus diaz what do you think about Devin the dream haney's performance over there i like this performance it was uh you know it, the fight went pretty much the way I thought it would go, you know, as far as uh, Devin Haney uses boxing skill, he uses jab, uses uh, uh, distance and footwork, while Jojo, you know, at the, the tough guy he is, you know, tried to disrupt uh, Devin Haney's rhythm and, and, you know, and push him against the ropes and, uh, and, and fight a rough and tough style, which at some, you know, some spots it worked for him, it just wasn't enough to, you know, win, win the fight. So Devin Haney coming to this fight, uh, 26 and 0 with 15 knockouts, uh, five foot eight, probably five foot nine, 71 inch uh, reach. Uh, Jojo Diaz, 32 and one, and one draw um, with uh, 15 knockouts, five foot six with a 64 inch wingspan. It's pretty short. So you know, uh, Jojo he has a win over Javier Fortuna uh, and Tevin Farmer. And he has that loss to Gary Russell Jr., which looks better every day, you know, for Gary Russell. Um, and of course, Devin Haney, you know, he's coming off this win against uh, Jorge Linares and Uriokas Gamboa. So uh, both guys came out jabbing, and, and it was interesting to see uh, Jojo coming out jabbing also, um, because he's kind of was playing uh, Devin's game for the first few rounds. And Devin Haney, you know, he's going to just use his footwork to. He would take a step back and, and just continue to jab. But one thing he did do that was interesting was uh, Haney, he would throw these right hands to the body. And I thought that was very, very impressive. And he can only get, he really he could get away with that because he has that long reach that's lo- a lot longer than JoJo's. Um, that he can, you know, throw that right hand, a uh, right lead to the body and get away with it. And then JoJo at some point started copying, <laughs> uh, he copied it uh, in the fourth and hit. Haney's the body, which kind of got Haney's attention. Uh, and Diaz did, you know, trouble Haney in the fourth round. And I know he did trouble in the, uh, the ninth round, too. Uh, overall, I gave 
Haney, I think he, he won a, a nine rounds to three, possibly eight to four, if you're generous to JoJo. I, I think JoJo gave a good effort like he normally does, you know, brought his game that he can, but he just doesn't have a, a, enough for someone as, as skilled as Devin Haney. Um, but it was a good fight. Uh, shout out to Devin Haney. It was a good performance, and, and we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent performance by old Devin, you know, doing his thing out there. As I saw it, you know, JoJo, you know, I think if we all kind of predicted this, that, you know, really, when I saw, when I watched the fight, it's just like everything that we, we, we imagined that was going to happen just based on the physical attributes of each guy. You know, Devin is longer and rangier, and I just didn't think that, Jojo was going to, you know, have the prerequisite skills to be able to, like, really, really challenge uh, Devin, you know, in the show last night. Um, Jojo was fighting, like, in spurts. You know, he was using control aggression, you know, intelligent aggression. Um, Haney, to a certain degree, was having Jojo a little bit timid and reluctant on, you know, being reckless. I think he caught him with something a little bit early, and that may have um, kind of tamed Jojo a little bit you know, from his, his usual aggression, like the type of aggression that he had against fighters like Tevin Farmer. He was landing a nice right hand downstairs that kind of slowed JoJo up a little bit. He was landing uh, various jabs, nice uppercuts. Um, and then JoJo on the, on the flip side as well was landing some, some good overhand rights on, on Haney. You know, but overall, like you said, Bill, I think that the performance was pretty dominant, you know, nine, three, eight, four-ish. You know, like you said, if you're real generous to JoJo, you'd probably give him about four rounds. Um, and JoJo was competitive when he let his hands go, you know, but he just didn't do it enough. Now, you know, we're going to talk about where Haney goes from here. And I was hearing them say, his father was saying how they believe that Cambosis may be a little bit easier than JoJo because he's more textbook. Um, but we will talk about that in the next segment. Um, as far as the fight is concerned, I had the first three for Haney. The fourth, JoJo stepped it up, so I gave him the fourth. It was real close, though. Um, and then Devin, he adjusted and bounced back in the fifth. He rocked uh, JoJo in the ninth. I believe that was the ninth or tenth. Um, and then, like I said, anytime that JoJo would, like, come on a little bit, then it's like Devin would, like, take right back over. You know what I mean? He never gave him, you know, any opportunity to gain, like, courage or anything like that. Um, and then the last few things, I just, as far as Devin is concerned, the things that I like about him in this fight, you know, I like the speed. I like how he used his length. Um, he has very nice punch placement. Um, the thing that I'm concerned about him in the future, you know, obviously there's a lack of power there, but, you know, smart boxers can get away with that. And I think that he may be about 70% at 135. I think as he moves up, you're going to see 100% Devin Haney, and maybe he might be a little bit stronger and maybe pack a little bit more of a punch. Um, but we'll see. We'll see as far as that's concerned. But the main thing that I don't like is the fact that he hits a little too much for my life. But all in all, great victory for Devin. Um, look forward to seeing what he does in the future. Yeah, I personally scored at 117, 111. Um, the commentator said it throughout the night, 
and it was true to me that both fighters were executing their game plans. Haney just just did it better. Um, like y'all say, he did a solid job going to the body all night, kept the distance, worked off the jab, especially in those rounds. And, and really in two of those rounds, I gave Diaz kind of like what you alluded to, Will. Um, Diaz would come with this flurry that would, in a lot of people's eyes, win him the round, like towards the middle of the round, but then Haney would come back. You know what I mean? And so the rounds that Diaz won, even though it was competitive all fight, the rounds that Diaz won were still pretty close rounds, all in all. Um, honestly, didn't learn too much new from either fighter. They both were game. You know, Diaz is going to be a tough out for anybody in the division. Haney was just a class above him. Only thing I'll add is that uh, the copy box numbers, Haney landed 164 out of 614, 71 body shots. Diaz landed 140 out of 573, or 41 body shots. Honestly, my eyes, I didn't know Diaz threw as much as he did until I saw the numbers, but I think that's because Haney had a better distribution of his punches, whereas Diaz would throw these flurries, not all of which would land, but he would throw these flurries, and it would be like punches and bunches, and then... And by the 12th round, he had kind of punched himself out because that was the round that he really needed to turn up. And he did for as long as he could. But then by like, you know, a minute, minute and a half into that round, he didn't have a whole lot left but to kind of survive. But a similar concern I have to you, Will, is that he just, Haney just caught flush. He just got caught flush too much for me. And, you know, as he moves up and as he fights better fighters, like, you know, he's going to have more power, but then it's like the fighter that he's fighting going to have more power too. So it's like, you know, what's your chin going to do when you get caught flushed by, you know, just throwing a name out there, Jose Ramirez, you know what I mean? But all in all, good fight. It went about how I thought it would, but, you know, good fight though. So, you know, it's big 2021 for Haney. And obviously he's looking for a big 2022. Uh, where do you guys think he goes from here? Yeah, I think the logical step would be the George Cambosis fight and George seemed pretty eager to face Devin after he defeated uh, Tio last week. But he's not sounding like definitive as much now as he was before because he, Cambosis is throwing around names like Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis. You know, he's saying that it, everything just has to be right. but. That fight should be the fight that's next, um, I believe. Because I don't, I don't think that it makes sense right now for either guy to go in any other direction. Because for one, I don't see Haney at 135 too much longer. And then two, I don't want Campos to run a risk of losing all those belts to somebody else, you know, and then that'll just make things even more murky. When you have the two belt holders, you know, right there in front of each other. So let's just go ahead and settle the score. So logically, I think that that fight should take place. place. Hopefully, you know, that they do it in Australia. He was talking about 60 to 80,000 people. So that would be a good next step for um, Devin A. Now, if he collects those belts, then the other logical step would be for him to put his undisputed belts on the line against Josh Taylor, if Josh Taylor is still at 140, you know. We still don't know that because Josh Taylor has been making a lot of uh, noise about wanting to fight Terrence Crawford. So, but we still see. Hopefully that happen because I, I don't recall ever seeing the lightweight 
um, undisputed champ facing the, the junior welterweight undisputed champ or any uh, fight like that for that matter. You know what I mean? And so that'll be huge, you know, from a historical standpoint. The other thing too is that he could go in the direction of sticking around at 135 for Ryan, or um, I think Teal's moving up too. So I think those fights probably take place at 140 with the exception of Tank Davis. Last thing I'm going to say is this, is that he wouldn't have beat Tank Davis yesterday taking those punches that he took from Diaz. Um, Tank would have put him to sleep yesterday, you know, or he would have been in some real serious trouble. So um, the other thing that he needs to do is get back in, in camp, you know, and work on those deficiencies that he had because that's not, it's starting to become a pattern because Linares was catching him with some stuff. It's just Jojo Diaz, if you look at his knockout ratio, it's just not high. But other guys who packed a wallop, you know, in those gloves or in those in those uh, punches, you know, they would have really end up as the same results with Linares or even worse. So just work on those things. But the logical next step, I think George Campbell's is that hopefully just yeah, that's a pretty easy topic to cover. Um, I agree. Like on Haney's end, there's nobody else for him to fight in the division except champions at this point. That's A, and it's only one champion. Um, he, to your point, Will, he also said after the fight that it's very hard for him to make 135, so he's living on borrowed time in the division. And he's historically had trouble finding those champions to fight. And now you got somebody who's willing to fight you. Now, on Camboso's end, he's drawing a clear line in the sand by not ruling out any of the top guys at 135, but also saying that whoever fights him has to come to Australia. So I get that, you know, he's throwing these names out because people have asked him about these people. But, you know, he's, he's saying it with the stipulation of, like, y'all coming to me this time. Now, out of the names he was, he was asked about, let's be real, Garcia hasn't really earned that shot. Um, and unless Tank's management really sees something they want to expose against Cambosos, I don't see that happening, especially with him having to travel to Australia. And, you know, Haney said after the fight, he'll travel to Jupiter if he have to. So it seems like they're both willing to fight each other. Um, unless Tank's management plays some kind of unforeseen chess move where they throw a whole lot of money at him or something like that from them coming to the States or staying in the States or whatever, um, I think it just makes sense for both fighters to do that. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think the, the next fight is most likely Devin Haney versus George Cambosos. I think Cambosos wants it, and I think he's a, a breath of fresh air to the lightweight division because he's the guy that's basically what Haney's been looking for. Somebody's like, well, I'll fight this guy. I'll fight that guy. So, yes, he's throwing his names out there, but he can only fight him, you know, once, one at a time. And Haney was that top on top of that list. Um, now, like you said, Danny, um, Tank's management could throw some money at him. And I can actually see them doing that um, because they may see uh, Cambosos as, as exploitable, which is true, as you know, Lopez is able to put him on a seat and, and be half his success with him on a bad day. So they may look at that and say, well, if Tank beat this guy, maybe he'll get the respect that he deserves. Um, and we do know that Tank is, is, you know, he's his fight with Cruz is at 135. So He's not, the jury's not gone. The jury's not not pretty much dead on him being at 135 anymore. Uh, and, I, and we don't know if he's going to stay at uh, light welterweight. Uh, he may fluctuate. The only weight that I'm going to rule out for Tank is actually 130. I don't see him ever going back down there. Um, but with, with, with Devin Haney, I think 
um, the future is bright. Uh, like you said, Will, he does have things he needs to work on because I didn't notice he was taking those shots. And it's not that he takes shots per se. It's the, it's, it's the look when he does take those shots, his response to them, his body language that, that he, he gives a tip off that. He may not be like hurt as in I'm about to go down, but you can tell he's, he's troubled. Um, and as opposed to someone like a, you know, uh, Errol Spence or a, uh, a Boots Ennis, when they take shots, they take flush shots, but they walk right through them where they're like, they don't, they, they, they play it cool when they do get hit. So uh, I, I can see, you know, fighters not wanting to take advantage of that. But I also think uh, Haney is, is, is extremely skilled, you know, and, and I think he's the type of person that wants to prove his head's in the right place and he has, you know, his father's in his corner and his father, you know, has a good head on his shoulder, shoulders too. So um, we'll see what happens in the future. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, I was going to say, and I think that he is trying to prove something now too. Like he doesn't want to come across as having a weak set of listeners. And so now when he gets hit, he feels the need to, you know, prove that he's not hurt, which is not good. You know, if you hurt, you hurt. You know what I mean? Do what it is that you need to do to get out of that trouble. And, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't even necessarily say a weak set of whiskers that he has, but, you know, he can be stunned a little bit, you know, and, and that's just what he has to do is figure out a way to take some steam off some of those punches, you know, when he does get hit. And that's the issue that I have more so because he's taken some pretty flush shots from his past two points. That's just question number two. What y'all think about his style? You know, a lot of people, you know, talk about Amy and he's not excited, you know. What, what, what do you, what, what's your take on it? I think boxing is like, like everything else, like music and movies. I mean, you have your moods and um, and you have things that's going to be successful. I think Haney's style is successful for him. And it, it, it can be exciting if you're the person that's looking at it from a boxing skill standpoint. Uh, me as a boxing fan, you know, I, I enjoy big fights like that. Even Haney versus Diaz, even though I knew it was going to happen and it played out exactly the, the way I thought, it still was worthy of seeing. It wasn't, uh, wasn't, it wasn't boring per se. Uh, a boring style, I mean, I, I, I think that's, we give that too much power because sometimes sometimes it's, it's uh, it takes two fighters to make a boring fight. And we've seen boring fights, which took two guys. Like the one, the last fight with, uh, with, uh, with Bermo Rigandown and the other guy couldn't do anything. You know, it takes two. So, so you can't put all that on Devin Haney. Not, and even with Jojo Diaz, I, th I thought that was a, a He's tried as hard as he can. So I kind of disagree with those that say that Devin Haney is just boring and want to criticize him for doing that because the goal is to go out there and win, you know. And if you feel a fighter is boring, you should repose your will on them then. Make it exciting. It's not all up to one fighter. Just like when they say that about Floyd Mayweather, you know. Um, it was weird when people used to say that because Floyd's, if you watch Floyd Mayweather's fights, um, there are, there are many exciting fights in this library. So I, I, I think it's just a, I think it's more so coming from the casual fan slash the possible MMA fan. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I think he's the Tim Duncan in the lightweight division. You know what I mean? He 
You know what you're going to get from him. Like Tim Duncan, he was going to get you 25 and 11 or 22 and 10 every night. You knew what you was going to come to see. Um, he don't add a whole lot of sauce to it. He's going to tighten his fundamentals. Every, every, every fight he's going to tighten his fundamentals, he's get a little bit better. He get the right people in his corner. And so he is a fighter who he is at this point. Now, is it going to make for a fan-friendly fight? You know, he's not going to sell out arenas, I don't think. Because, you know, you have other people in the division, you know, in Tim Duggan's prime, you had like your Kevin Garnett's who had the trash out to go with it. And you had, you know, other, other big, other big, um, you know, hoopers, well, in basketball, but you got other big fighters who they had a mouth. You got T.O. doing the backflips when he wins and talking all the trash outside the ring, taking body shots on Instagram from the mountain. And then, you know, you got guys with knockout power like Tank. So, you know, He's not going to be the biggest draw in any division he goes to really at this point, but he's going to give you exactly what he knows how to, how to give it to you. And he's against most of it, you know, his opponents, he can come up with a win. You know, as he should, you know, if that's, if that's your style, that's, and, and that's your best avenue of victory, then you should, you know, fight your fights, you know, that, that's what anything, you know, to me, to be honest with you, I, Cause you're gonna see the same thing first round through the last round, you're gonna see the same thing with Haney. And typically you'll see that with guys, you know, all fighters, because all fighters bring what it is that they bring to the table. It's just the fact that it's like a really small chance that you're gonna see a knockout. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna see him hitting somebody, he's gonna be moving around, you know, nice punch placement and things like that. But if after you see it like two or three rounds, you want to see a little bit of something else. You know what I'm saying? After a while. But so I can see where what people say when they say that he doesn't really have a fan friendly style. I can see that. But at the same time, for his sake, as long as you match him against stiff competition, then I think that that's what fans are going to respect. And the more for him, his best avenue is to get that George Kambosos fight so he can have some trinkets that other guys are going to have to come see him about. But as long as, as they don't have to and they can find other ways around facing uh, David, uh, Devin Haney, then they're, they're going to do it. But if he's able to beat Kambosos, then beat Josh Taylor, you can't avoid him. You know what I mean? And then that's going to allow him you know, get, to get the fights that we want to see. I don't want to see Haney against any other opponents outside of the, the top level opponents because it's just going to be the same redundant type thing. But he has to do it though. I'm just saying, like, for me, just like marking my calendar, okay, Devin Haney is about to face Javier Fortuna. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's right. the name I was thinking <laughs> That's it. But no, that's all I got. All right. Um, moving right along, there was another fight that happened this weekend. It was Lyndon King Arthur against uh, Anthony Yard, the sequel for the WBO Intercontinental British title at 175, like heavyweight. Uh, did you guys see that fight? If you did, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, man. Arthur is now 19 and 1, 13 knockouts. As you alluded to, he last beat Yard by a split decision last December. Yard is now 22 and 2 with 21 knockouts. Um, they both had beat their previous opponents by knockout or or stoppage in the summer. 
Um, so this was a good fight for as long as it lasted, you know. So in the first round, Yara came out aggressive, but not overly aggressive. And Arthur responded by attempting to kind of tie him up and grapple him in an effort to slow him down. And Arthur ended up closing out the second round pretty solid. But in the third round, Yara started to fight his fight again. He didn't really let Arthur smother him. And he landed some quality shots towards the beginning and the end of, the, of that round. Now, in the fourth, Arthur caught him with a good shot. And he kind of shook his head and just went to work. You know what I mean? And so he started to really let his hands go. He had Arthur in the corner, was wailing on him. Arthur got out the corner, but not before he got not before he got caught. And he fell down with a right. And the ref counted. And you could argue that he barely made that count. But he wasn't really in the condition to continue. And the ref stopped it. And he didn't really argue that. Now, this version of Yard was a more polished version of what we saw when he fought Cole Lamb in 2019. In 2019, you know, we saw him and it was like, oh, this guy, you know, this young guy is, is looking pretty solid against Kovalev. You know, he could do some things. He was just a little bit raw. He showed a lot of potential, but he was stopped late. Um, but he looked really good in this fight. He like he's learned from his loss and he's grown from that. And he put himself in a position where he might be able to fight that winner of the Joe Smith Jr. Um, Callum Johnson fight in January. So, um, you know, salute to him. And, uh, you know, if he gets a title shot, best of luck to him. Yeah, salute to Yard um, for, for actually rewriting uh, what he thought was wrong. He thought he won that last fight. But instead of know, bragging about it too much. He got in the ring again and changed, and he pretty much did what he was supposed to do. You know, he came out aggressive like he should have did in the first fight. Uh, and of course, there's still uh, questions about his stamina, you know, later in the fights, but in this fight, it didn't matter because he was like, I'm going to take it to him. I'm, I'm going to use my, my strengths, you know, which is that aggression, that punching power. Uh, and he did kind of expose Arthur in a way because Arthur is, uh, Arthur, you know, he's the jab, you know, one-two guy, but he likes to keep things safe and keeps things in, the, in his safe space. And now you see that you, if you make him uncomfortable, you know, you can't, you can tell he was kind of falling apart a little bit mentally, you know. Uh, Yard was really, really making him uncomfortable. Uh, and, I, and I think that's going to be a, a key going forward uh, based off of who Arthur fights um, from now on. Uh, Yard is always, you know, he, he's one of those guys that's exciting to, to, to watch. Uh, he's, he's never going to be like, he's not going to always be the favorite, um, but he can always be in a fight and, and kind of have an idea what he's going to give you or, or the potential of what he can give you. Um, and, and shout out to him because most guys, I didn't pick him to win this fight. I thought this, this would be a replay of the same fight the first time with Arthur, you know, winning the decision, just more um, of a clear decision. But Yard changed all that. You know, I love being too long on fights like this. Yeah, absolutely. I had um, predicted that Yar was going to lose via 12-round decision or possibly even getting stopped, you know what I mean, after he took a lot of those um, jabs that that uh, King Arthur likes to throw, you know. But shout out to Yar, man, because he came off this fight aggressive. I would say his activity rate was just pulsing, you know, it was just he did what he had to do, and he fought this time like he did, He wasn't afraid um, or he didn't care if he was going to gas out, you know, 
from the giddy up, you know, he had a high activity rate. I gave him the first round, but I thought that Arthur as well, he was staying calm, you know, and he landed a few solid jabs. Um, but with that overall activity rate of yard, I had to give him the first round. And then the second round, Arthur, what he was doing in this, this round as well, um, well, this was something that was a little bit different than what he was doing before. He was using his side. He was like wrestling a little bit with Yard, and he was trying to tame Yard's aggression with a few like right hands. So round two was, was close. I think I gave that to Arthur. And then round three, that's when Arthur um, or Yard started landing some of those lead lefts. And, but the thing was, at, at that particular time, I was thinking, I said, you know what? This fight, like, Yard can't go 12 rounds fighting like this. You know what I mean? But, you know, lo and behold, that set, that fourth round came around and he caught Arthur. I thought Arthur was just, like, trying to let him gas out. I didn't think that, initially, I didn't think that he was hurt. But then some of those punches got through and then he, he ended up dropping him. But, like I said, all in all, great quality win for you know, Anthony Yard, and it's going to set up him to be able to face either Callum Smith or Joe Smith uh, when they fight. So that'll be an interesting matchup. I still would lean a little bit more so towards Joe Smith because this is still a British level fight. You know what I mean? I think that the next steps for Yard, he should try to look. And I think the announcers alluded to this as well is that like a European titleist or a European. Um, type of opponent, like a well-established European type of opponent, and then move on to fight, you know, for the belt, you know, once again. But great win for Yard. Anything else you guys have on my main man? Uh, what do you say? Lions in the Cub? Or lions in the... <laughs> well, what did he say? I know he said, I don't know if he said Lions in the Cut. or I... Yeah, his, his accent is very strong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So shout out to him, though. Lions. You know, lines on them. Okay. Now, the next fight, I think that was on that same. No, this was on which card was that? Was that the um, Diaz versus Haney card? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, on the Diaz versus Haney card, we had Jessica McCaskill. She was fighting against Candy Wyatt. Bill, I know you wanted to talk about that. What did you think about old Jessica? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Jessica McCaskill, I, I would say, you know, look her up and watch her. Um, she's in, she's currently in the, uh, the what's weight division of the what's weight division, uh, which has become a red hot as far as uh, who's around that um, division. Of course, uh, we have Amanda Serrano, and then there's uh, of course Katie Taylor and Natasha Jonas. Um, so McCaskill she came into this fight uh, 10, 10 and two with uh, with three knockouts. Uh, she's five foot six with six nine inch reach against Candy Wyatt, who uh, came into his fight ten and three, uh, also with three knockouts. Um, now, Candy Wyatt was a late replacement, and, and of course, um, Wyatt isn't anything to, to, to write home about. But what I like about McCaskill is how she fights and how she carries herself. I mean, she's like a, a whirlwind. I mean, she's a volume puncher. She throws all types of, of shots. She throws them with bad intentions. Uh, she's not trying to, you know, she's not trying to outbox anyone. She, she's just there just trying to put the work in. Um, and, and 
it's going to be interesting where she goes in here because, of course, she has that the win over uh, Cecilia Brakis, which pretty much uh, submitted her 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 stance in the um, the women boxing uh, what's a weight division, uh, and then she beat her again in the rematch. Um, but there's also she might want to avenge that loss to Kate Taylor, um, and I think that would even be a good fight also. So um, if you haven't seen her, check her out. Again, her name is Jessica McCaskill. Uh, I just want to put you know a light on her because sometimes uh, they don't get the the credit they, they that they desire, and that's what we're here for. Absolutely, that's a good breakdown. I saw it, you know, um, but you did a good job of breaking that that fight down. She looks like the goods, you know. She went in there yesterday. She was real aggressive, you know. She got her her opponent out of there. So shout out to her. So moving right along uh, on the, also on the Tank Davis versus Isaac Cruz car, which by the time you hear this, uh, would have taken place. Uh, we have a, a fight in the light middleweight division against Sebastian, the towering Inferno, Fedora. He's gonna be taking on uh, Sergio Garcia. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight? And what do you, what's your prediction for it? What do you see happening? I'd like to say we got uh, Sergio Garcia, who's 30 old with 14 KOs. He's 5'11 and a half, 29 years old, out of Spain. Uh, the only Sergio Garcia that I'm familiar with, you know, is the golf. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this right here is going to be an interesting matchup because he has the, like you say, the towering in front, 80 inch reach, 23 years old. Now he's six, almost 6'6. Six, six. He's like 6'5 and a half. Now, you have to deal with that, those type of dimensions that this young man brings to the table. Then you got to factor in, he's also left-handed, too. So that's a tall order, you know what I mean? No pun intended. Now, this is going to be for the title eliminator for the WBC. So whoever wins this bout will be in line for the winner of the um, Castaño versus Charlo fight. So that'll be interesting to see if the old towering inferno is able to get past this one. How either one of those guys would fare against him because Castaño is so short. And then Charlo, Charlo packs a punch. And if he gets to that chin, then you know, that could be all she wrote for the old towering inferno. But I mean, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. He has this fight coming up. I think that Sergio, he fights a lot of his fights out there in Spain, you know? And that's, again, he's, he's fighting the local level guys. And he's doing well against those opponents, but now he's facing somebody more on an international level. And I think that that's going to be the difference. You know, he hasn't, who, who can like really prepare for uh, Sebastian Fedora? And the fact that he does have some um, holes in his game in terms of sometimes getting hit. And it's surprising that he appears to have a pretty good chin, you know, is real as he looks, especially his legs. Like, they just really look like some toothpicks. But he takes a pretty good punch, and I don't see somebody with 14 KOs or 33 victories being the one that could um, crack a dent in his chin. So I'm leaning towards the towering in front. I think that this fight probably will go to about maybe the fifth through eight or something like that. I just think he's going to be too much. He's going to over, overwhelm Sergio Garcia. What about you, Bill? Sebastian Figura, you know, and it, it, 
when I first saw this guy, I was like, wow, this guy is really tall. And, and you brought up an interesting fight, possible fight that could happen in the future with him versus Brian Castaño, who was five foot seven. So that would be a, about a 10 to 11 inch height difference between these two guys. And we're not talking about heavyweights where this could happen. We're talking about guys that like middleweight. So that's, that's interesting. So Fedora, uh, Sebastian Fedora is a very tall, light middleweight. Um, one of the interesting things about it is he doesn't necessarily fight tall. Uh, he does have a jab. He uses a jab, but he uses it uh, kind of squared up. Uh, he doesn't really use it, uh, his long reach and distance. It's just the, the naturality of it, because he's naturally tall and naturally has a reach, it just comes with the play. But you can tell he's not really trying to throw that a long jab like a Lennox Lewis would. Um, so he's kind of sometimes he's squared up when he, he does jab. He relies on thudding power. He's not really a, like the one punch hit a quitter, but he does have power where he, you know, he gets guys out of there. He, he's able to hurt guys and he likes to throw hooks and uppercuts. Um, so I, I, and he's, a, he's pretty much a volume puncher. So I think that's going to be the, the, determine, the determining factor in this fight. Uh, now, Sergio Garcia is more of a mover. You know, he likes to fight backing up sometimes. And I think where his, uh, Garcia has a tricky style, but I think where he's very flawed, which is going to play in this fight, is he fights punched over. And while that can be a, a, a good defensive mover for a certain type of fighter, I think it's kind of wrong for Fedora because Fedora, he's, he's going to throw them uppercuts and hooks and is going to really uh, be digging into Sergio Garcia. And I think Garcia is only... Uh, the only thing that's going to make it interesting for Garcia is that he is going to move in and Fedora is going to have to try to track him down. And, and Fedora, for, for as good as he is, I mean, he does have holes in his game. He does get hit. I don't think Garcia is going to be the one to really, you know, trouble uh, Fedora from a hitting standpoint. But I do think, you know, his movements may offset Fedora for a few rounds. So I do think I can see this this fight going to the cards, or I would think late stoppage uh, for Fedora. And this, this, in the second half is going to be when Fedora's volume is going to start to pick up. It's going to have those effects over uh, Sergio Garcia. So I, I predict Fedora winning this fight, uh, I'll say probably by the 10th round, either it's either going to be around the 10th round where he stops him, or, or he's going to have a sensation of second half, which he wins this on the cards. We'll see uh, Fedora like the later it go, more trouble for him. But we've been wiping these guys out of there. Not for Sergio Garcia. I can see it for certain guys. Yeah, I was just saying, like, do you think that that could be a possibility that, you know, Fedora been wiping these guys out of there? And so if it goes a little bit longer, do you think on the flip side of that, that can work in Sergio's event? If Garcia, if Sergio Garcia is able to figure him out and figure out and then see those holes in his game, and be able to execute them just like how uh, Cambosas did to Tiafimo Lopez. That is that's a possibility. I can see that happening. That's cool. So next weekend on December 11th, we have a, a championship fight for the WBC bantamweight title against Nonito Filipino Flash down there, and he'll be taking on uh, Raymar Gaballo. Gaballo. So uh, what are you guys' prediction on this fight? What do you see happening? Okay, so Donair, 41 and 6 with 27 knockouts, 39 years old, 5'7, 68 and a half inch reach. Uh, he last stopped Nordine Ubali 
in May of this year for the WBC Bantamweight title. Caballo is 24-0 with 20 knockouts, 25 years old, 5'6", 68-inch reach. And he last beat Emmanuel Rodriguez by a split decision in December of last year for the WBC interim Bantamweight title, which set him up for this. Um, I'm going to keep my prediction short. Auto Donaire is 39. He definitely didn't look at when he stopped Ubali early this year. And Gabalo's victory over Rodriguez was highly contested. You know, he was aggressive, but he wasn't really effective. And I don't know how to say this, but he was outboxed and was gifted a decision by the judges. If Donaire had been out of the ring for a while, you know, maybe he, I would say he's susceptible because of his age, but he looked great and it wasn't that long ago. And what I also take into account is that he's expressed how hungry he is to get back at anyway. And so I don't think he's looking past that fight, this fight, but I do think he's going to channel that hunger into this fight. And I can see an early mid round stoppage going down. I think it depends on how much Donaire has left. And if we're judging from his last fight, he has a lot. He, he has something. He has enough to beat Garbello. Uh, and that's not no disrespect to Garbello. Uh, Raymar is, you know, the powerful guy, you know. Um, he has a reputation, you know, as a puncher. But like you said, that, that fight with Mayor Rodriguez, I mean, that was a close fight, which actually – you could say he lost that fight too. I can see the argument for that. So um, when you look at a guy like as talented as Donaire, not only talented, but Donaire, the, the, the experience and, and, you know, the ring savvy, I think the only thing that's going to, that can work against Donaire in this fight is his age. And, and if he just, you know, that, that one fight just happened where you go from top guy to like shot, you know, and we know he's on the downside and he's on the other side of his career, but I, I do think he's, too experienced for Gabello, and I think Gabello is not going to have like the uh, for for what he does, he doesn't have the savviness to, to, to take advantage of of, of, of Donaire's age, you know. Because I, I know Donaire is probably at that point where you know he fights in spurts, uh, sort of like how Manny Pacquiao was on his on the side of his career. The difference being is that Pacquiao is more a volume puncher guy, where Donaire is more the thinker. So he can, like, it's almost like Bernard Hawkins, he can almost, you know, stop the fight and change the pace. And I think only guys who are just very, very tricky boxers, two things, two guys are going to give Donaire trouble until his age just totally shows. And that's guys who are just tricky boxers, or if you move back up in weight where he's going to have trouble with those bigger guys, you know, I think that's the only thing that's going to give him trouble. Um, as we even see in that fight with, with Anui, that, he, you know, he still has, that fire in him. So I predict that Donaire is probably going to stop Cabello. I think I'll, I'll give about eight rounds. Um, he's probably going to hurt, hurt Cabello a lot because power is like one of the last things to go. And Donaire still has that fire. He still wants to fight. So I predict an eight round stoppage. Solid prediction, you know. Because um, I mean, when you look at this fight, basically, you just have to think, you know. At 39, how much does Donaire still have left? You know, the other thing too is, is Donaire is probably looking at Gabala, Gabala, like he's looking at himself. You know what I mean? A young Filipino guy, a lot of power, a lot of people not like picking him, you know, 
who was that guy that um, Donaire came onto the scene? Picked Darchini at Darchinia. Remember, a lot of people didn't pick him against Darchini. And so he could be looking, you know, possibly at him at himself when he's facing a guy like Caballo. Um, hopefully, if he is, then that will have his antennas up. Because I think if he is alert, if he's training, you know, the way he's supposed to, I don't think he'll slack up. You know, he, he, he uh, compliments his wife a lot and helping him get prepared for these fights at the lake. So I don't think that he's going to take him lightly. But 39 years old, sometimes, you know, you can be in there and you just, it's just not there. So that's the only thing that I'm worried about in terms of the outcome of the fight. Because I think Caballo's style is suited for somebody like Donaire, because he's going to pick his shots. He's real powerful, you know, and this could very well end up like his last opponent. Um, on the flip side of that, this could be Caballo's coming out party. What if he beats the old Filipino Flash? You know what I'm saying? And then it's like he's the man, you know, and then he'll replace, you know, Donaire as being a guy that the Filipinos support, you know. He hits hard, you know, he throws a lot of punches. But again, the main thing is that he's just wide open when he throws those shots. And I think that at some point, Donaire's going to get in there and he's going to clip him with something. And he's one of the heaviest punches that you're going to have at the lower weight um, divisions. And you don't want to get hit too much by Moniso. And if he's getting hit as much, I mean, if he's getting hit similarly to how he was getting hit against Rodriguez, then he's definitely going to be out of there. Um, only how I see it is I have Donaire, I think he's going to win by KO, stoppage. But the only way I see Gabayo win is if he catches him with something early. But we shall see. You know, I, I hopefully also, I don't want to see Donito go on too much longer, man, because 39 years of age at those lower weight divisions, you know, it's like how Pacquiao was taking out some of those older guys and he was feeling bad for them because he just had too much, you know, in a tank for those guys. And so I know he's not facing Pacquiao, but if he faces a young gun, who just has too much for him at that stage of his career. I don't want to see him go out like that, but we shall see. Anything else on the Nomito Domain versus the Bio fight? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Will. Um, Donaire, great guy, follow him on social media. You know, loves his wife. He always makes posts about his wife. Um, yeah, you, you want to question how long he's going to stay in this game I mean, because he's been around a long time. Um, it, and I have to go back to Lincoln that night he did beat Big Darchini and I think that he was pro for years even before that. So he's had his long career and it's pretty much winding down. And it's like, how much do you really want to do? I mean, he's a first ballot, you know, future Hall of Famer. You know, he's done everything he's going to do. Um, from outside looking in, because we didn't, I'm not in this camp and I don't know what goes on, but from outside looking in, it's not like he's going to achieve anything that's even more extraordinary than he's going to you know, bump them that far up. So um, I would say, hey, get your money, you know, um, and get out. Because he's very, you know, bright guy, articulate. You know, he could be a trainer. It could be, even be a commentator. So I see it. I see a, uh, he, this is not the only way he, you know, he needs, it's not the only thing that he can do in box. So, but shout out to Nonio Donaire. He, he used to be one of my favorite fighters, you know, years ago. So, you know, still a big fan of him. How are you going to, like, wane on your fandom for the man? Because he, he fell off a little bit. Like, why are you, why are you uh, no, it, 
you know, it's, it's like life cycle. It just changes. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not a fan of him today. Like, I like what he did with uh, Anui, you know, even though he lost that fight. I mean, I thought it was a, a great stance, but it's like just out of respect for your heroes, you don't want to see your hero get hurt. Like, you know, like, like even if, like, for example, yeah, Manny Pacquiao, when he fought uh, Rodinus Ugas, um, I'm fine with a fight like that. It's, yeah, he took a beating, but it wasn't like a Man, this dude should be. It wasn't a, a a when Ali fought Larry Holmes. You know, I don't want to see nothing like that. You know, happen. You know, not to your heroes. But but to his credit, he said, "Hey, look, uh, well now I'm out." So see, that's the thing with Uga. Not Uga. That's the thing with Donaires. I'm hoping that when that time comes, it's not too late. Like they'll know. They'll cut it short. And it's like that's it. Don't need to you know, I want to see him just taking a pounding or just get knocked the mess out. You know, because he's such a good dude. You know, listen to him. Him in a new way. Like those are some really like just nice. You don't even see how they can fight because they just seem so genuinely like nice people. You know. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Nonito. Yeah, you know who else is like that? And I, I like the way their career winded down, even though they didn't get like to really hurt. I didn't like the last few fights that Shane Mosey was taking, and you know, and I was a big, huge Shane Mosey fan, you know. Uh, still, I'm a Shane, I'm a Shane Mosey guy, but just those last fights, it was like, I mean, how long? What are you going to do? Like, how long are you going to stay in here? You know, I mean, it's just, his status is already cemented. Like, he is, he is what he's going to be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the belt, man. Yeah, you got the belt. Yeah, all the belts and everything. So. That'll motivate you. Shout out to Shaq. I, I don't even know if it's highly anticipated anymore, <laughs> but you have Kill Brook versus Americana. What do you guys think is going to happen in this showdown? Yeah, you, you said it correctly. You know, it, it, it's long awaited. You know, it's about five five, six, seven, eight years late, you know. But it's still an interesting fight, now, and it's a fight that will sell still. I think the British fans still want to see this fight. So you have Amir Khan, you know, coming, he's going to come into this fight uh, 34 and 5 with 21 knockouts. A speed demon, you know, he has wins over uh, Chris Algeri, Devin Alexander, um, Zab Judah, he even has that win over Marcos Maidana that gets overlooked, you know. Uh, but he also has losses to who's who. He had that that scary one to uh, Alvarez when he was, you know, pretty much lights out. Um, he has losses to Danny Garcia um, and Lamont Peterson. Uh, coming against uh, Kel Brook, who Kel Brook was one of those guys who just um, he's he's hard to place because he was so, you know. Um, so tough, and, and one of the fights that submitted his legacy, submitted like how good he really was when he beat, he's to date really uh, the only guy who really was was pretty much um, giving it to Sean Porter up until Terrence Crawford. And even then, I would say round on round by round basis, I would say Kel Brook was doing better, you know, uh, at, at certain points. So Kel Brook is coming to this fight 39 and three with uh, 27 knockouts. Um, he has win, wins over uh, Sean Porter and um, Carson Jones. 
And he also has losses to uh, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, Errol Spence Jr., and Terrence Crawford. Um, so now what I think is going to happen in this fight, this fight, I don't think too much change. I think the, the thing is both guys are probably going to be slower, which is, which is probably going to make for a more exciting fight. And I, I don't mean slower as far as just being slow, but slower than it used to be. They're going to be slowed down. Like their biggest strengths are not going to be as evident in this fight. Um, Kel Brook's still going to bring that, that boxing ability, that jab, and, and that power. Uh, but I think he's, he, I think once that he's probably um, declined a little bit more than American because he, even in American's recent fights, he still shows that speed. Uh, he just can't get off like he used to. So I think, it, of course, it's a grudge match. It had about seven years cooking. I think emotions are going to be high. I, I think uh, both guys really want to want them to win this fight. And it's going to be a lot of bad blood. So I do think that this fight is going to be pretty good up until the sixth or seventh round. And I think uh, Kel Brook is eventually going to catch Amir Khan just like he always is going to catch him. And I think that's what Amir Khan was always afraid of, getting KO'd in front of his hometown, hometown fans in, in Britain by his British rival. So even though he waited this long, I think the same result is going to happen because even though he thinks that Kel Brook has lost so much, I don't think Kel Brook lost enough power where he can't knock out Amir Khan. So for whatever it's worth, this is at a 149-pound catch weight. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure who either of these fighters are at this stage in their careers. So they both last fought. Well, Amir Khan last stopped Billy Dibb in July of 2019, but what's probably fresher in people's minds is him getting stopped by Bud Crawford in April of that year. Um, Brooke also last got stopped by Bud in November of last year. Now, Kel Brook is now 35. He's been in some wars. Amir Khan is 34, has also been in some wars. And in that Bud Crawford fight, Khan's heart was bought into question when he got hit with an accidental low blow and he didn't come back out to fight in the sixth round of that, of that fight. And not for nothing, but the majority of his success has been at lower weight classes, like specifically 140. Now, Brooke has had success at welterweight, but, you know, again, he's taking a lot of punishment in that Triple G fight and that Spence fight. And um, for what it's worth, he did find success, though, with that jab a little bit against Crawford early until Crawford switched to Southpaw. And then, you know, Crawford pretty much got him out of there with a straight jab in that fourth round. So, you know, what I, what I just presented based on what I've seen from both fighters, I think that the catch weight is going to favor Brooke. And, you know, Khan is elusive. He's known as being elusive, but 34-year-old Khan, we don't know. I, but I think the 35-year-old Brooke will be able to deal with whatever elusiveness Khan still has to offer. I'm just not sure how Brooke's face is going to hold up. You know, it's not even like a chin issue. It's just like his literal face because he's had two surgically repaired orbital bones. And, you know, the way that he caught Crawford's like straight jab and that was just it for him. That that has me a little concerned. You know what I mean? Not that Khan is the most powerful puncher, but, you know, if your face is going to crumble like that, it's just kind of like, all right, man, what, you know, what you doing here? So all that said, I'm still going to lean Brooke by decision. I think he'll get decision. Yeah, I think that 
the longer this fight has taken place, it has benefited Khan more. Um, the closer to they were to they them being in their prime, I think Brooke would have wiped the floor with them. At, I mean, at least at some point he was going to catch him and stop him. And now it's a little bit more difficult to determine if that's going to take place just based on what you fellas mentioned as far as the wars and things like that Brooke has been in. And now I'm starting to wonder about a little bit about his punch resistance. But Bud, like I say, Bud hits so hard from weird angles. So I don't know if he got hit with something harder than it just appeared. But I didn't like how he was hurt by the shot that he took by Crawford. But again, that could just be Bud, too. So I don't know. And then also when he got hit, he didn't know what was going on. And the punch just didn't seem like it was that much. So, and again, like you say, Amir Khan is not the biggest puncher in the world. He's just more so like a flailer, you know, and he throws a lot of rapid punches. But I don't know. That's the tricky thing about this fight. And 149, is that enough for Brooke to not get drained? Because again, we fought Crawford. That was the first time he had weighed 147 in 10 years. So I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting fight. Like I say, more interesting now than it, it, it would have been previously. But you also have to factor in kind of being off since 2019. You know, he didn't look so hot against Crawford. Like you say, he's looking for a way out. I don't know how much his heart is into fighting anymore. But Whatever heart is left is going to be up for this fight because these two dudes don't really, they really don't like each other. So it's going to be interesting, man, to, to see how this thing plays out. Um, like I said, I just think both of them slow down just enough to make this a very interesting matchup. Anything else we got before we wrap things up? I think the chocolate brownie right hand. The chocolate brownie? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what round you say? Like you said, because of the weight for this fight, I think it extended kind of about two or three rounds. So I think I'll say eight, the eighth and ninth round. Originally, I think this fight would got stopped in about the fifth or sixth round. Yeah. But because of, of the ages and, and, and the wars Brooke been in, it's going to be a pretty much equal fight. You know, it's going to be level. And then Brooke is just going to catch him with that chocolate brownie. Right? Sleep. Hope them brownies ain't stale, man. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like Brooke. I just, you just don't know when a fighter's been hurt, man. It's like you might have thrown them brownies out with no things. Give it leftovers, man. You feel me? I think but, he really, he really wants this fight. I think he wants to constantly. I do agree. I do agree. I do agree. So, yeah, we'll see. Too, though, with, with Brooke, he put so much into that blood fight and it didn't work out in his favor. So, is he going to be willing, like, right back to trying to push himself in order to be? you know, the best he can be for Khan, how's that going to play out for him, you know? I don't know, but it's I'm glad that they're finally going ahead and uh, getting it on, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Anything else we got, though, before we wrap things up? It's good to have all of the crew together, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. We got to do it more often. We might, we might have to go down there to uh, the Norfolk. Yeah, Norfolk. For sure. Yeah, you know, VA beach or something. Yeah, like I said, it, it was it was just good energy, just you know, being in the same room, you know, strategizing like here, you know, at the same time, you know what I mean. So it was it was good, good seeing y'all, man. Yeah, you as well. Yeah, so y'all have anything that you want to share before we wrap up, brother? 
good. You good? No verses left or anything like that that we got on the horizon or anything? I don't think it's any of the books. Yeah, I'm seeing. Oh, okay. We still were trying to recover from this last one. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing, but from what I saw, 360s was, was getting off up in them, so. They might have to start doing personality assessments before they before they oh. put these guys together. You feel me, Myers Briggs or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Nah, and, but and they had like the they, they were like kind of what's that? that tape? Yeah, 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 yeah. They weren't trying to hear that <laughs> straight past that. Mm-hmm. But on that note, we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up. You know, hopefully you all have a great week, and hopefully you enjoy the episode. Peace. Peace.